Hello and welcome to the Deeper Eye podcast. I am Lara Ferris, your host. For many years, I have been passionate about self-improvement. Through this, I have met the best specialists in their field who have given me tools and the courage to pursue a new path. The purpose of this podcast is to share with you everything I have learned through the conversations I have had with these amazing people. I hope these conversations will impact your life as they did to mine. Today is episode three of the series, What Do We Want Our Children to Know? Episode three is about love. And really looking forward to having Andrew back again to talk about love. What a big word, the word love, how misused and misunderstood it it is. I'm just going to take this opportunity to tell you about something that really resonated very well that I heard on social media. Someone said that love for them is being able to be completely yourself with someone else and allowing and accepting someone else to be completely themselves with you. It's acceptance, it's non-judgment, it's not expecting anything in exchange. It sounds so beautiful and yet so hard to live and to be loving this way. I just uh, will wait for Andrew to say his view about love and I hope that you will enjoy this conversation. So today is episode three of our series, What Do We Want Our Children to Know? And Andrew, you are going to tell us about love today. Great subject. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Love is what seems to be more and more acknowledged and recognized to be the healer of everything. I very often hear people say, I love my wife, I love my husband, I love my partner, I love my child, I love guitar, I love piano, I love traveling. And yet it's the same word, but so many different way of loving. And what do we expect from these different ways? And I feel that we have been misled in understanding what truly the word love is. I, of course, heard you so many times talk about this, and I'm so glad that today I can share your views with so many people, because I would really love it if you describe what is really love for you and how is it seen as the healer of every problem? Wonderful, wonderful. Good morning, Lara. And as you say, this is a massive subject. It's huge. But I think there's two assumptions or two premises that I would start with. The first is that for me, 90% of what people talk about love, as you gave a whole list, is not love. I think there is huge misunderstanding and delusion about what love is and what love isn't. And the second thing is for me personally, uh, all the different expressions of love. So love for a father, for a mother, 
for a sibling, for a friend, for a lover, for, for a beautiful car, for a house. Essentially, it's the same for me. We have romantic love, we have platonic love, we have agape in the Judeo-Christian tradition, love of your neighbour. So for me, all of these different expressions of love essentially come from the same source. So that's my assumption, and other people might not want to agree with that, so that's fine. And in the Middle Ages, there was a trend or a fashion called the Via Negativa. And and this was within theology and in mysticism. Mm -hmm. It was an acceptance that we can't make positive statements about God. We can't know what God is. All we can do is know what God is not. And I think that's a very helpful approach when looking at love, because for me, it's much, much easier to discuss what love is not than what love is. And by discussing what love is not, it exposes for me some of the misunderstandings or misassumptions or delusions around love. So that's what I'd like to do if it's okay with you. And, you know, the first thing on my list, which is controversial, is for me, love is not a feeling. When you talk to people, and when I had a conversation with my wife just the last few days in the context of doing this podcast, and I said, love is not a feeling. And she was very reluctant to accept that. And the reason I don't think love is a feeling is all feelings are very, very transient. Mm. So a feeling arises, and sometimes it's very intense, and then it dies away again. And it's a little bit like a wave in the sea. A wave comes and it goes again. And once it's gone, it's no longer. And all feelings are like that. Anger, sadness, um, love, kindness, hate. And so for me, if we think love is a feeling, then love is very transient. Love comes and goes and it's not constant. Whereas for me, love, if we're interested in defining love or thinking about love, It's not a feeling. It's not transient. It's something that underlies the fabric of our being. Mm. So the second thing that I would highlight where there's a great, great confusion is that love is not need or neediness. Very, very often we we mistake love with neediness. Sometimes if we're in a relationship and the other person is behaving badly or is remote, we said, oh, you don't understand. I love him so much. I love her so much. And this isn't really love. It's a neediness. It's it's my need saying, please don't leave me. I'm going Mm -hmm. to die. And this has nothing to do with love. And if you look at the if you go into a, a bar and you, you put records on a jukebox, you would hear all these notions of love that are really about neediness and codependence. Yeah. And even in relation to animals, you know, my wife and my daughter are totally besotted with our two dogs, and they already have anxiety and fear about the dogs dying. This is really neediness for me. It's not, it's not what I think about as love. And somebody once said, when we say to someone, I love you, as I say very often in my life, I love you, we're really saying is, please love me, please love me. And, and many times in my life, I've been in a situation where someone says to me, I love you, and then there's a pause, and they say, aren't you going to say it back, as if that's the expectation. So again, another aspect 
of of love, what love isn't, is a way of getting something, getting something from someone. So we very often shower someone with affection or something, and the underlying reason, which might be conscious or unconscious, is that we really want something back yeah. from them. Yeah. And for me, you know, love is free of any condition. We'll come to that in a minute. All as parents, we often know that feeling when we do a lot for our children and then they behave badly or they are rude to us and we sort of snap and we roll out this list of all the things I do for you. You're expecting something in return for that. So for me, in the purest sense, this is not love. And equally, as an extension of that, love is something without condition. There are no conditions. So very often with our children, with our beloved, with our friends, I'll love you if you show up on time. I love you if you pay equally to me. Or I love you if... And for me, again, it might be controversial. It might be people have different views about this. But I would say that everything that's ever been written about love would indicate that we don't place conditions on love. Sorry, Andrew, are we built naturally to love our children unconditionally or even that can be uh, destroyed, like even that? I, I would go further than that. I would say that once we begin to practice love and once we begin to develop an understanding of love and once we begin to remove the obstacles and I still have many obstacles in the way of receiving love and giving love. But once we remove that, what we discover, and I have definitely had glimpses of this, that our true nature is love. Mm. So it's not like we're, you know, love is something innate. Our actual nature is love. And along the way, we've become distorted. Yeah. We've become misled onto a different pathway. So... We'll come back to that, if I may, but I just want to continue going through the list of what I think love is not. So another, another very popular thing, particularly in religious communities, but also in non-religious community, we often find that love equates to earning brownie points. So in certain traditions, we're taught that if we behave well, if we're kind to people, if we're good to people then we'll get into heaven. Or, you know, there's this idea that by being good or being loving, we're earning brownie points with the divine or with God or anything. And to me, again, this is not love because it's a very conditional transaction. It's almost like a transaction. And another element of that, which we touched on earlier, which every parent understands, there's this huge difference between love and sacrifice. And many, many people, not just with children, but people in marriages or relationships, romantic relationships, we go into sacrifice, we put the other first time and time again, and then we explode. But we convince ourselves that when we put someone else first, and when we, okay, let's do what you want. Okay, let's do that. Yes, I'm happy to do it. You know, we think that's love, but what's happening is it's sacrifice. And the, the phenomenology of sacrifice 
is really it's manipulation. It's trying to get you to love me. And one of the things we know, I mean, maybe it's appropriate at this point to say that, and I know that you excel at this, Lara, but, but we've all had the experience of doing something for someone or giving something to somewhere where we know we want nothing in mm-hmm, return. Mm-hmm. Could be a spontaneous gesture yeah. or could be something we've planned very carefully. And, and we just know we want nothing in return. When someone else's face lights up, that is the joy of giving. Mm, yeah. And that is closer to love. Yeah. Another angle of this, which we touched on before, but love is not loving to be loved. If we are loving because we want to be loved in return, which is a very understandable and reasonable position. A lot of people say, well, I'm going to love everyone else because I want to be loved. But it's still actually a conditional transaction. And so all of these elements, we could touch upon many others. But essentially, love is a spontaneous gesture or it's a disciplined practice where we want to give something to another with nothing in return. And there's one other element of this that I want to introduce, which I think is very helpful in understanding love. And that is the polarity between attachment and detachment. Mm -hmm. And in the Buddhist tradition, they talk about the practice of non-attachment, non-attachment. And this is a very powerful practice. Mm -hmm. You and I have talked about it many times. So non-attachment is a little bit like no condition, no Mm -hmm. condition. By the way, people... One of, one of my least favorite expressions, people often use this expression, unconditional yeah. love. They always slightly cringe inside because all love is without condition. So to introduce a new category of unconditional love is A, redundant, but shows that a lot of what we call love does have condition. So if we go back to the attachment, detachment polarity, is that the Buddhists talk about non-attachment, which is having a a passion or a love for something in a non-attached way. So you can love something, but if you lose it, you're not going into grief, you're not going into sadness, you're not going into... Because grief and sadness and anger and all these other things are based on the attachment. And we live in a society where... People are conditioned and educated to have a lot of attachment. People are over-attached to people, Mm -hmm. to houses, to cars, to watches, to jewellery, to possessions, to jobs, to all sorts of things. And it's the attachment that creates the problem. And I just want to highlight that detachment is not the solution. So there's Detachment is a pathological way of not being attached in the same way that attachment is. So in my relationship with my wife, my wife is probably very over-attached to life. I tend to go into detachment, which I learned at a very early age as a small child, just to detach because something was too painful. So not advocating detachment, non-attachment is not within the same spectrum. It's not within that polarity. Non-attachment is feeling and expressing and being in a state of love to someone, but not so, for example, do genuinely feel a lot of love and affection for you. 
And if tomorrow you decided you found a better friend and, and weren't so interested in me, love is actually allowing you to, to move in a different direction and have people that are important to you. That's genuine love. Yeah. Can I, I you just don't want to interrupt you anymore, but I have so much. No, you I, go. That's, uh, yeah. There is so much buzzing in my head. I'm sorry. I just try to be logic and to make sense with my questions because all this in theory is amazing and I totally understand. But in life, in, you know, in real life, it's really hard, first of all, when you act from a place of love, when you're so giving and there are people I genuinely think they really do act from a place where they don't really expect anything in return. But it's very rare because we are we are conditioned and, and built this way. But it's really difficult to to be truthful about it. Just one I can only give the best examples I can give is the one I lived. I've always had this tendency to genuinely want to do things for people and it truly makes me happy honestly Andrew I it makes me very happy when I can make someone happy but I don't really know if deep down it's my deep imprint of not being enough and not being loved and not being important that maybe I just found a way since I'm a child to just keep doing things for other until I discovered later on after my very hard work that I've done with you that actually there is a certain notion of being in sacrifice that is not giving love anymore. It's losing yourself gradually. So I kind of altered and leveled my compass of this doing, but there was always the same very deep sense of being so happy. When I know you like something, if I know Anna likes something, it's the highlight of my day to go and source it. Do I? I don't really know. I promise you, if deep down there is this fear of you not liking me anymore or Anna not liking me anymore if I stop doing it. Have I ever told you that I love Ferraris? Yeah, but I can't. <laughs> 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 I think I think this is why I, I'll never be a billionaire because if I had the mean, I'll buy it for you. <laughs> I think this point you raised, Lara, is brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant because I think all of us struggle with this. And the way I sometimes describe it, it's a little bit like a Venn diagram. A Venn diagram is just two circles mm -hmm. that interlock. And so there's a big bit on the left, a big bit on the right, and, and a smaller bit in the middle. And for me, sometimes I know that I'm doing something or saying something as an expression of love. I feel really mm -hmm. confident about that. At other times, I have an awareness. I know that I'm doing something from sacrifice or from people-pleasing yeah. or whatever it is. And then there's this area in the middle I just yeah. don't know. It's too hidden or too subtle. I don't know. And that's fine. What I would say to you is, you know, carry on exactly as you are and just listen to yourself and trust your awareness. Because what happens when we are giving from sacrifice or when we are giving from people-pleasing, two things happen. First of all, we get exhausted. Yeah. And secondly, we get resentful. Yes, yeah. 
I don't think either of those things really happen to you. No, not always. Uh, it does it, sometimes. This is my campus. Yeah. Well, comp compass. What do you call it? When I know, you know, because you end up feeling these feelings, and this is where I know where I've pushed a bit too much. Mm. You know? And so the other thing, which is is changing a little bit, but in my experience, mm. it still hasn't changed. In, in most cultures, and particularly yeah. in your culture, but in, even in the UK and North America, despite all the political correctness and all the wokeness and everything, every single piece of research shows that boys brought up to have their needs met yeah. and girls are brought up to meet other people's needs. Yeah. So, you know, there's that differential mm -hmm. that that girls and women are often much better at putting other people's needs first. Yeah. And of course, there's loads of exceptions to that. Yeah. But generality, they've done research in schools, in, in classes and in, in families. Mm -hmm. And that differential still exists. Yeah. So that leads us to I think, a distinction or differentiation between three things. So selfishness is a long way from love. And all of us recognize I'm often selfish, I can feel selfish. And the thing about selfishness is, although there might be a very short-term gain, like with a drug, mm -hmm. it actually is very unsatisfying over a period of time. Yeah. But again, in certain cultures, particularly, I think, Uh, UK culture, Western culture is very individualistic. Mm -hmm. we, are, we are taught a, an element of selfishness. The second thing is self-obsession. Yeah. And a lot of our thinking. So, for example, if I have an interaction with someone at a social event and I come away and think they disrespected me, they looked at me the wrong way, I didn't like what they said, there's, a, there's this element of self-obsession mm -hmm. that we get caught up in. Um, and then the third one is self-love. Mm -hmm. And I would say that self-love is really the alpha and omega of everything because if we can learn to love ourselves, then we will learn to love others. And in fact, I would go further and say that our ability and our willingness to love is correlated with our ability and willingness to love ourselves. So, you know, there's a lot of hatred in the world. Yeah. And people who hate essentially hate themselves. They're in conflict within themselves. Mm -hmm. People who love tend to have a deep acceptance and love of themselves. So here's another element to love, which I think is very helpful in practice. Because for me, there's a very strong, almost synonymous relationship between love and acceptance. Acceptance is a very expansive energy. The more we can accept, the more we can love. Yeah. And again, there's a nuance which you've heard me talk about that I meet a lot of people talking about acceptance and they're actually practicing resignation. So if you're resigned to something, that's a very tight sort of cramped energy. Mm -hmm. So it's the opposite of acceptance. Mm -hmm. But when we accept something, we are very expanded and, and we're very inclusive. So for me, don't think there is an adequate definition of love. But if I could, or if I did attempt to define love, I would say love is to accept myself exactly as I am. Love yeah. is to accept myself because there's always parts of myself that I discover that I'm not so accepting of. So basically, the foundation, this is why 
I just love this that we're leaving to our children to understand. And the foundation is self-love, basically, because this is where it all starts. Because Exactly right, 100%. Because then you don't have self-obsession if you love yourself no. enough. And you see, what self-love means, which is why we find it so difficult, yeah. self-love means can I love the nastiness in me? Can I love the petty-mindedness in me? Can I love the the smallness of myself? Can I love the meanness in myself? It's it's easy to love the giving side of myself mm-hmm. or the, the kind side of myself. Mm-hmm. And really what self-love is, which again I think is is not well understood, it's really about loving the bits of myself mm-hmm. that I've split off. So for some people, you know, tenderness or vulnerability is a weakness. Yeah. A lot of people have been brought up, don't show vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So how can I embrace and love my vulnerability? That's Mm self-love. For some people, kindness, there are many uh, areas of life where if you show kindness, it's seen as a weakness. Yeah, yeah, I know. And, And also weakness is seen as undesirable. So can I love my weakness? Can I love my impotency? Can I love my fear? Yeah. We all have fear. Yeah. We have too much fear. But can you can you love your fear instead of fighting it? Because the more you fight it, the more you're strengthening it. Yeah. It's, a, it's a big subject for me because when you are born with this kind of natural desire to be kind, I don't know if I'm born like that or grew wanting to be like that because that was my default mechanism to survive. I have no idea, clear idea yet, but I'm enjoying being that because it feels quite authentic to me. I don't force myself to want to be kind. I mean, we discussed very often, you and I, that there is sometimes a suppressed something beyond and underneath all of that, but maybe it's not the right episode today to go into this. But it's very often this kindness can be seen very quickly as a sign of weakness like for example if somebody is very mean and you you don't act from the same vibration and level of meaningness if you respond from much higher and more confident part of yourself it can be seen as weakness do you have anything to say about that for people out there who have been in that situation yeah of course so i think it's another great avenue of exploration because many people have said this in different ways but if you have two neighbors if you have a neighbor on the left hand side the right hand side and the neighbor on the left hand side is always kind to you and charming and very respectful and very friendly and then the neighbor on the right hand side is angry and nasty and very aggressive with you and and says offensive things which one of those people needs your love more i know for for sure that it's the person being mean but yeah, so, unfortunately, Andrew, and you know that, most people would think the, the, the opposite. Well, I think I find, you know, every day of my life, I find that loving the, the angry, difficult, mean-spirited person is difficult. And, and I often walk away and I don't do that. But I just think it sharpens the mind a little bit because I think essentially... 
you are somebody who is generous spirited and I know myself fairly well and I am generous spirited, which doesn't mean that I can't on occasion be mean spirited. Mm -hmm. You know, that can happen and does happen. So I think, you know, it's just accepting that, enjoying that, that you are generous spirited and work on things where you have more clarity Don't listen to what other people might be saying about your generosity or your generosity of spirit. Just enjoy it as other people enjoy it. I know a lot of people that comment on and get the benefits of your generosity. So just enjoy it. And you would say the same to if you had a child that's very similar to you. And of that's course. sometimes people might think, oh, he's too nice. He's going to be treated badly. He's And actually, you know, deep down yourself that he's not. And this is I'm insisting on that because this is dedicated to to our children in a big sense of the world. So what? Yeah. What do we tell them? Defend yourself. Just stay yourself. <laughs> No, I think we teach them that love is a more satisfying and a more successful way of being in the world. It's interesting that science teaches us, there was someone talking about this recently, that in science or in biology, we have a drug called oxytocin. And oxytocin is issued from the pituitary gland, which is where our endocrine system operates from. And it's it's often called the love drug. And it's the, when a woman has a child, the the body is flooded with oxytocin, which is, is creates a very powerful bond between the mother and the child. And what researchers have discovered is every time we make an act of kindness or an act of love, we experience a little release of oxytocin Mm -hmm. inside. So we get a good feeling from that. And what's more is that the more oxytocin we have in the system, the more it encourages us to create more oxytocin. And somebody was commenting the other day that someone who witnesses an act of kindness also gets a little release of oxytocin. So it's like a pebble in a pond that every time we do an act of kindness, other people witness that, other people experience that. They then are encouraged to do acts of kindness. And this is biological. This is built into our systems as human beings. So for me personally, and this sounds a little bit esoteric or bonkers or both. But one of the principles of my life is that love literally makes the world go round. You know, we we live in a world, some people say the world runs on greed, some people say the world runs on envy, but the most powerful force in the universe is love. And I think we start out from love and in the in the Judeo-Christian tradition, you know, we start off in the Garden of Eden, a, a place of oneness where there's a complete non-attachment. And then there's this, in that story, there's this fall from grace. There's this creation of separation. And in a way, I think every lifetime we have is to get back to our true nature, which is love or oneness or non-attachment, whatever you want to call it. And I think you and I are on that journey, Lara, and some days 
We do well at it in other days. We are shit at it, and that's the way it is. Yeah. So, yeah. But we at least have the map and on the pathway. What is amazing for me to observe is, and what makes it amazing, this series of, of podcasts for me, it's a little bit like you're creating a manual in general because we do have a lot of moments where we forget. We just get you know, invaded by life and what happens in life in general. And we lose a bit track of what we learned, what we spent time and time practicing. Suddenly seems like it's all falling apart, but it's actually not. We just need to reground. And this regrounded, this manual, this is just to, you know, open it and read through it a little bit or listen. Can you immediately remember all of these laws, all of these practice, and you come back to to groundness, to remembering. And I think this is the most amazing thing you can do for yourself because we know that we never reach a point where we just know everything and nothing bad's going to happen. That's, that's not going to happen. You see, here's an interesting thing. I would say, and again, it's up for debate really, but I would say that small children, but children of all ages, intuitively know whether their mother and their father love themselves. They see it. It's not what parents say. So so some parents are modeling self-love and others are not. Yeah. And this, ha- this happens at a very early age. And I want to say something about romantic love because, you know, all of us, are in a relationship or have been in a relationship and and most people want to share love with a beloved mm-hmm. and you know i was brought up in the uk in the western world and north america western europe and australia other countries like yeah. that we've been brought up on the notion of romantic love which is in our stories our, our fairy stories literature and of course in hollywood you know, boy meets girl or boy meets boy, girl meets girl, whatever, falls in love and lives happily ever after. I think this model of love that we've grown up with creates a huge amount of suffering and misery and, of course, an increasingly large divorce rate. Whereas I think, and I'm often misunderstood with this, but I think the notion of arranged marriage, and I'm not here talking about the abuses that go on within arranged marriage. I'm talking about the the idea of of two people coming together that have never met each other and get married. And the basic premise is, how do I learn to love this person? Mm. What both people have to ask themselves is, how do I learn to love this? Do I want to love this person? And how do I learn to love this person? And I think that, you know, I've had the experience of falling in love with my wife and getting married. But love doesn't really start until you fall out of love. Mm. I think we've talked about this recently, that, that falling in love is really pathological narcissism. It's, it's, it's a projection from ourselves. So really, when you fall out of love and the person in front of you is not who you thought they were, it's how do I learn to love this person? How do I learn to love the things in them that drive me mad, the things that, you know, I want to change. That's really mature 
understanding of love, not trying to change them, but learning to love the things that you don't like. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking people also that you attract in your life, you know, and you, you fall in love with. I mean, now, now I, when I say fall in love, I have a different explanation in my head of what it is, because what I'm actually doing is trying to fill a gap inside of me by loving this person because of what I think he or she is going to give me. And when you yeah. when you start seeing things like that, I think this awareness, like everything you taught me in the last few years, it all starts with an awareness. And after that is the intention of what you want to do with it. Exactly. And it's really simple, but it's not easy. And, you know, I accept that some people listening to this might say, it's all a bit too theoretical, it's all a bit too pure, you know, but love is pure, actually, and it's painful and everything else. And quite a good place to end, actually, might be, I remember many, many years ago reading a book by someone called Philip Yancey, Y-N-C-E-I, and it's called, it's called something like yeah. What's So Amazing About Grace. But, but in this book, the whole book is rests on mm -hmm. two premises, and the first premise is there is absolutely nothing, nothing at all that you can do to make God love you more. So it's, it's down to this idea, Brownie, you know, you could be Mother Therese, Jesus, Buddha, all wrapped into one. You could live the most amazing life, but God is not going to love you more because God already loves mm. you more than you could possibly imagine. Yeah. And the second premise, which I think is, is more powerful, is that there is nothing you or I could do, nothing whatsoever, to make God love us less. So, you know, we can be horrible, we can be nasty, we can be murderers, we can be rapists. Whatever you do, there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. So that is a kind of love that is consistent, enduring, non-conditional. And I think all of us find that extremely difficult to embody however i think that we all have moments of experiencing that yeah. so for me love is really it's an inner state it's a way of being in the world mm -hmm. and you know it'd be interesting if you meet pe new people at a social event or party and they say what do you do and i they say i'm practicing love yeah. committed yeah. to love yeah. it's like you know i would say to my children there's nothing else more important i don't care what your job is, how much you earn, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, are you committed to love? Is it too simplistic, Andrew, to say that part of the main reason why we're here is to practice love? Uh, no, I think, of course, I, I'd agree with that completely. So basically, if, you know, the meaning of life, one of the most important part of it is practice to be kind, to not, not be judgmental and love. And in a way... Not, not just in a way, it's correlated with practicing love is the same as discovering my true nature. It's the same thing, that we're here to discover our true nature and understand that we are love. And, and when we learn that, it's game over. Yeah. When you are in that place, 
I just want to enjoy because I'm submerged in your words and what you reminded me of just now. And I'm in a place where I know I won't last for long. But when I look at these people that have over years been so mean, so hard on me, so disrespectful, so whatever, whatever, they suddenly have a role like they they actually turn from being horrible to being so kind to bring to the surface this notion of I don't want to be that and I want to move away and be closer to my real mission in life, which is being the total opposite, basically. So it's like in a way that can be their mission to be up and show you what you don't want to be. Exactly. And that is so beautiful when you're in that place for a bit. And And also one of the analogies that I use for myself all the time is if you have an animal, uh, you know, a domestic animal or a wild animal, but if you have an animal that has one of its paws caught in a trap and it's hanging loose, you could have the kindest 10 vets in the world that all trying to help it and heal its paw but the animal will lash out at you because they're hurt, they're wounded, and they feel you're a threat. And that's all that's happening with people who are unkind or nasty. They're just hurting. I love this example. Every time you say it in any (laughs) session, I just, it's like all the balls fall into place, you know, in my head for a second. Everything makes so much sense. Because it's just that, you know, like the, the the hurt and the wound makes them just act the way they do. And the more hurt you are, the more awful you are. And then, unfortunately, you have people in front responding from that same vibration and energy. And this... And also, important to remember that my wife used to say to me all the time, she said, you know, you're much more loving and compassionate to your clients than you are to me. And I said, yes, of course I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I mean, yeah. when when we're in a romantic relationship with a beloved, yeah. all those old hurts, mm-hmm. the wounds mm-hmm. that we are carrying are exposed. Yeah. And then we lash out from those wounds. But when we're with a friend or yeah. a client or in a professional relationship or just with friends, they're not pressing our buttons in the same way. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's an odd concept, but yes, it's, you know, I used to say it's easier to create intimacy with your hairdresser or a barman than with your spouse. And it's true because, you know, nothing, none of the wounds are being aggravated Mm -hmm. and you're just free to be loving and kind. Yeah. Oof, amazing. (laughs) What else do you, do you uh, suggest we can touch on about love in general? Is it, uh, Do you feel we covered it all? Well, I think, you know, it's interesting. We started with talking about the via negativa. Mm -hmm. And for me personally, the only possible way to be more loving is a willingness and a commitment to clear whatever obstacles are in the way of that. And so another analogy that many people have used, it's a little bit like, a dirty rag that you wash in the river every day and gradually over time that the rag gets clearer and cleaner a little bit of the 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 mud or the dirt or the toxicity is washed away and another analogy is like the sieve or the filter and we need to be willing 
and it's much more difficult than it sounds, we need to be willing to remove the obstacle that is getting in the way of love. So the obstacle might be, you know, I feel rejected. You know, my early wounding is I feel rejected. So that's my filter. So I see that all the time. Or it might be abandonment or it might be being a substitute for someone else or whatever it is. Mm. And, and it's being willing to dismantle that obstacle because the love is available yeah. and we are all loving and again okay. and again we come back to realizing that the foundation of all of us this is acceptance and self-love because when you work on that these beliefs that you had dissipates a bit that you're not lovable that you're not accepted that you're i mean all of these things that we grow up believing takes us a bit away from uh, being able to love ourselves exactly and you know i grew i definitely i grew up and felt that i was unlovable yeah. and i was the black sheep of the family mm-hmm. and i turned to addiction and all the other things so it takes time and i'm still working on that i often say to people and it's probably one of the truest things i ever say mm-hmm. is i absolutely know that i'm a novice at love i'm a complete novice at love i'm learning we're all in the same boat, Lara, and we're learning about love. Yeah. And and I love that. I You know, I want to learn more about love. Yeah, it's beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much, Andrew. Uh, it's a I pleasure. I feel it's a subject that um, we are going to have to come back to because I still would love to talk a lot about why do we attract certain... You know, I know we, we touched on it, but I'd love to have a full episode just on this i could um, give you a total answer in 10 seconds yes but that's why the... <laughs> do we why do we attract those people to learn about love yeah. beautiful that's it. to learn to learn about, about love. loving ourselves also to encourage yeah. us to to do this exactly. self-love and acceptance they go together don't they yeah because acceptance. you know if somebody insults you or somebody ridicules you or somebody rejects you or somebody abandons you if you love yourself, you're not affected by any of that because it's it's more about the other person than it is about you. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Andrew, very, very much. I really appreciate Bless you, your time. Thank you so much. What a wonderful time to spend together. Next, next episode, we will talk about the nature of authenticity and I look forward to it. Thank you very much for listening and don't forget to subscribe to the Deeper Eye podcast and we look forward to having our episode four conversation in the series, What Do We Want Our Children to Know? Episode four is about authenticity, the nature of authenticity. Thank you for listening and looking forward to having you again on the Deeper Eye.